0: Good morning, my name is Ryan Smith, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, we're so glad that you are gathered here today with us at Arrow Heights Baptist Church. It is my joy privilege and honor to be one of the pastors here with you and today we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 verses 12 through 26. And we're resuming our walk together through the book of Mark, which we began about 15 months ago. And we took a break for Advent and then for our Church Matters series. But for the next several months, we're going to continue to walk verse by verse as we conclude Mark's gospel. And you know how when a new season of your favorite show begins, and there's always that tag like previously on Lost. <laughs> you know, I, I feel some need at this point to say previously on Mark. Because we've come a, a long way and there's a lot of context that we need to cover. So before we, we jump back in, I want us to get our feet reset on just a few things. First... The book of Mark is about revealing the fact that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was the prophesied Old Testament Christ. A word that means Savior, Messiah, Rescuer. And this Christ had been promised to the Jewish nation of Israel for millennia. As the one who would come to destroy God's enemies, deliver God's people... Restore his kingdom and reign forever. And there was a whole laundry list of prophecies in the Old Testament about this Messiah. All of which Jesus fulfilled. But Jesus fulfilled those prophecies in a way that was entirely unexpected. In many ways the Jewish people were mistaken about the Christ. Because they were expecting a great military conqueror. ...that looked like John Cena or 1980's Arnold Schwarzenegger... ...to come riding in on a big white horse... ...and overthrow Rome who was occupying and oppressing Israel at the time. They expected a warrior... ...and a great military conquest... ...and the foundation of an earthly kingdom with Israel at the center. What they got, however... ...was a man from Galilee who claimed to be the Messiah... ...and performed miracles and showed mastery over creation... ...in a way that proved he was God in the flesh... ...yet never picked up a sword. And instead of riding into populous Jerusalem on a horse... ...he walked the backwood pathways... ...around the forgotten northeastern region of Galilee... Yet there his message of repentance, turning from sin and trusting in God alone for salvation, began to take root and people were being changed. Now eventually, after predicting his betrayal, death, and resurrection numerous times to his disciples or his followers, Jesus came into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Now Passover was the main holiday event in jewish life each year an estimated two million jews would pack into the city of jerusalem to celebrate the passover which was a remembrance of when god led his people out from slavery in egypt under pharaoh and claimed his people the hebrews for himself giving them the law and the prophets And establishing them as his chosen nation. So Passover was the celebration of God's rescuing a people. Delivering them from captivity. And establishing them for himself. Now during Jesus' three year ministry, he accumulated numerous enemies. The religious leaders hated Jesus because he challenged their system. They had set up an entire strata of rules and laws that bent and skewed and in many cases flat out abused God's word. He came exposing their hypocrisy and their deception and called them to repent. But also... Because Jesus was drawing such a crowd and making the religious elite uneasy, the Roman occupiers were starting to put an eye on Jesus because they were all about peace. The Pax Romana. They didn't care who Jesus was or said he was. They wanted no unrest among the people and would use any means of force to stamp it out. It's also at this same time as Jesus entered Jerusalem for the Passover that one of his chosen twelve disciples, Judas Iscariot, decided that he would betray Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders who wanted Jesus dead. And we left off back in November with Mark chapter 14 verses 10 through 11 that said this, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. That leads us to our text today, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verse 12 says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him... Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, the feast of unleavened bread was a seven-day period during which the Jews removed all leaven or yeast from their homes. Now, why, why did they do that? Because on the night that God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, God told them to make unleavened bread, which is bread without leaven or yeast. This was because leaven makes bread rise and takes a while to work. The Hebrews were to make unleavened bread because they were to be ready to move out quickly. They didn't have time to wait. So for seven days during this feast, the Jewish people ate only unleavened, unexpanded bread. And this Feast of Unleavened Bread began on the same day as the Passover. Now Passover was celebrated in Jerusalem by the Jewish people as a meal. Exodus 12 verse 42 says, The Passover was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. So, in a way, Passover was a way of reenacting God's deliverance of his people some 1,300 years before. But in the Jewish commentary, the Melchizedek, it's written, In that night they were redeemed, and in that night they will be redeemed in the future. So, not only was the Passover a day of remembering or looking back, it was a day of anticipation looking forward to the day when God would send the Christ, the final rescuer and deliverer of his people. So as they gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover, the disciples asked Jesus about preparation for their Passover meal. Now such a preparation would mean setting up several tables in a large square shape. ...with pillows or cushions all around them. As they ate the meal... ...the people would recline on their left elbows... ...facing the table with their feet behind them... ...and would eat using their right hand. And part of this preparation would also include... ...the purchase of the sacrificial lamb... ...which would be taken to the temple... ...for ritual sacrifice according to the Old Testament law. And the meat... From the lamb that each person brought would then be taken back to wherever they were having the Passover meal and roasted on a pomegranate spit. Now the meal would usually begin around 6 p.m. and could easily last until midnight. And on the Passover table were bitter herbs, little bowls of stewed fruit paste made from ground fruit and nuts. There was also the unleavened bread... It was the lamb and several small cups for wine. And each of these items was incredibly intentional and useful for telling the story of how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. The bitter herbs recalled the bitterness of their slavery. The fruit paste was the color of clay brick which reminded them that in Egypt they were slaves to making bricks. The bread was a reminder of how that Passover night they ate expectantly unleavened bread. The lamb reminded them of the lamb each Hebrew household had to kill that original Passover night, applying its blood to their doorposts as a signifier that they were God's people, that the final plague of death would pass over them as it swept through Egypt. Now this is all explained in the book of Exodus, and portrayed somewhat Hollywoodly in Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, so there's some points of reference for you. But to begin the Passover meal, the family head, or the leader, or in this case Jesus, would have sat up, still kneeling, and he would first offer a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance. Then the people would drink a small cup of wine and ceremonially wash their hands, signifying their need for holiness and cleansing from sin. It's quite possible that it was during this portion of the supper that Jesus would have gotten up and washed the disciples' feet. Next, the participants would eat bitter herbs dipped in salt water which symbolized their harsh, brutal, and bitter enslavement to Pharaoh in Egypt. After that, the leader would take a loaf of flat unleavened bread, he would break it, and hand it out, to be dipped in the thick paste made from the ground fruit and nuts. Before he handed out the bread, he would have said the customary blessing, Praise be you, O Lord, sovereign of the world. Who causes bread to come forth from the earth. To which all the participants would have responded, Amen. Then the leader or the family head, Jesus in this case, would have broken the bread and distributed it around the table hand to hand in silence. After this, everyone would have sung the first two psalms of the Hallel, which are psalms or songs of praise. Hallel being where we get the word hallelujah, which means praise God. Now these Hallel Psalms would have been Psalm 113 and 114. After that, the head of the household would explain the entire story and the meaning of the Passover, which can you even imagine Jesus himself doing at this time. After which he would again wash his hands and everyone would drink a second small cup of the wine. Next, the roasted lamb and more unleavened bread would be distributed. And this was kind of the main course. After the main course, a third cup of wine would be consumed. And after drinking the third cup, they would have sung the rest of the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 115 through 118. And then drunk a fourth and final cup to conclude... Now there's a lot more to it than that, but those are some of the basic elements of the Passover meal and what Jesus and his disciples would have been anticipating. now, Now verse 13. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. On the surface, this seems kind of like a strange or somewhat random series of even kind of imposing events displaying Jesus' omniscience, and that it very well may be. He's certainly done that before. There are a few factors, however, that make us think Jesus was initiating something that he had planned in advance here. Because remember where we just left off before this passage. Judas has gone to the religious leaders, agreed to betray Jesus, and verse 11 says he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas was already enacting plans for Jesus' premeditated murder and was looking. He was looking for an opportunity when Jesus would be isolated. When a crowd wasn't around. And Jesus could be taken by force out of the public view. So the Passover meal in a private home at night would have been a prime time for this to happen. So if Judas knew where Jesus was going to be for the meal, he could then tell the religious leaders. It may even have been Judas who asked Jesus where they were going to celebrate the meal. It makes sense then why Jesus doesn't tell all of the disciples. He only tells two. Luke 22.8 tells us that those two were Peter and John. Jesus tells Peter and John to look for a man carrying a jar of water. And this was likely a servant who would lead them to a certain man's house. And the man carrying a jar of water is significant. And actually gives us another clue to think this was set up in advance. Because usually women carried water pots or water jars men always carried water skins. No man would have been walking the streets carrying a water jar unless he was meant to stick out as a sign or a signal to someone looking for him. So it's highly likely that at some point Jesus had arranged with one of his followers who lived in Jerusalem to have the Passover meal in a specific room at their house. Jesus then would have instructed the man to send out his servant with a water jar at this time of day so he could be identified and connect with Peter and John. Now this wasn't Jesus trying to avoid his arrest and subsequent murder on the cross. He knew very well that that would happen just a few hours later. This is, however, Jesus showing the significance of this Passover meal. Jesus is doing something here that he knows must be done. Verse 17 And when it was evening he came with the twelve and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? They said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, from this text, as well as the other Gospels, particularly John chapter 13, we get a relatively clear picture of the seating arrangement in the upper room on that night. And at the head of that table, right to left, would have been John, Jesus, and then Judas. We know this because in the other Gospels, John leans back onto Jesus to ask him a question from his left elbow. And Jesus would have been dipping his bread in the same bowl as Judas'. This being the case, Judas would have been given a place of high honor at this feast. Yet, as Jesus says clearly, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And look how the disciples respond they begin to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? The disciples had come to the point of recognizing their own frailty. They probably thought that Jesus meant that one of them was going to jump ship. And you know, with tensions so high in Jerusalem, they likely felt a bit jumpy. And recognized within themselves rising questions about whether or not they should stick around with this Jesus. They each probably feared that they would give in to those feelings, which they did when Jesus was arrested, and they all went running. However, Jesus was being specific. He knew who would betray him and why he must be betrayed. Jesus knew where he was headed and was trusting the Father's plan for the Christ's sacrificial death on behalf of his people as displayed thoroughly in the Scriptures. Verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And said, take, this is my body. This was likely the first giving of the bread that began the Passover meal. And with the breaking of this bread, Jesus would have said the customary blessing, that this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. And though the bread was usually distributed in silence, as he broke the bread, Jesus also broke the silence. He said, take, this is my body. Jesus was beginning to identify himself to the disciples as the true and better Passover. He was instituting a true and better exodus. Not from earthly slavery, but from spiritual slavery to sin and darkness... He was displaying the true and better deliverance from an even greater enemy. Not just political occupiers, but the enemies of Satan, sin, and death. Jesus was identifying himself as the Passover meal. As Jesus said in John 6, 32-35... Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven... But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Okay, now this is important. Jesus was not saying that the bread was his literal body. An idea known in some circles as transubstantiation in which the bread is believed to physically become Jesus' body. That is not what is going on here, as some believe. Jesus also said that he was the door and the light and the true vine, but he was not a physical door, a light, or a vine. In this context, the entire point of the Passover meal was metaphor. And that is what Jesus was leaning into here. Jesus who previously said he was the bread of life was speaking metaphorically as this entire meal was meant to be taken. A picture or a reminder of a much greater reality. Verse 23 And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And it's likely that some time passed between Jesus' statement about the bread and then this one about the cup. It's likely that this would have been the third cup taken after the main meal was eaten. And with this cup, Jesus said, he was instituting a new covenant. Again, Jesus was identifying himself with the sacrificial Passover lamb who was killed that God's people through faith might be identified and rescued. Now, why why the cup? Because the dark redness of the wine would have easily reminded people, as it does today, of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross as he died in our place. This is my blood of the covenant, he said, which is poured out for many. This new covenant would not be based on obedience to religious law or ethnicity or the works of man, but was being made by and through Jesus the Christ himself. He was becoming the sacrificial payment that we could not afford for the immeasurable debt that we owed as those who had rebelled against our Creator. God, in his justice, had to require from mankind an atonement for mankind's breach against our sovereign creator. And as a result, every single one of us, by nature, including myself, were held under the penalty of eternal death and accusation by the enemy. We had no hope of paying this infinite price for our infinite sin against an infinitely holy God. This new covenant that Jesus was instituting, however, would not be based on our works or our ability, but on the grace of God who paid that infinite price through the only infinite payment The sacrificial death of God the Son, Jesus the Christ, who accomplished this unthinkable feat by coming to us as one of us and being murdered by us on the cross. His life was taken, laid down by his own will, that ours might be saved. That for those who would surrender to him, who would lay down their rebellious arms against the true king and cease our attempts to build our own kingdoms of self in place of the true kingdom of God, we would find inclusion in the sacrificial death of Christ and a seat at the family table of God as his beloved children. Looking forward to that day when we are eternally home with God forever as Revelation seven seventeen says for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their Shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes this is the future hope For those who are covenanted with Christ based on the covenant of Christ's blood, the sacrificial lamb of God. And though Jesus ate his final meal on earth with the disciples that day around the Passover table, he pointed them and us forward to the day when we will eat with him again remembering our true and greater deliverance through his true and final sacrifice. Verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This would have been the final Hallel Psalms which praise God for his faithful deliverance. Sung before Jesus walked up the hill... To where he would be betrayed. In 1 Corinthians 11.23 Paul says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes so by participating in the lord's supper today ...which Jesus instituted and told us to continue... ...we too remember that while many had plans for Jesus... ...Jesus had plans for us. He planned to pay the penalty for our sins. That we who were dead, rebellious enemies of God... ...might surrender to Him, be raised to life... ...and become His children... Therefore, out of obedience to him, we take the same supper together today. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. It's for Christians, followers of Christ. And though not really a meal... What this means is that if we take of this bread and drink this cup together, we are declaring our continual part in the family of God. We are declaring that we have surrendered to Jesus as Lord and King over our lives, that we are not right in and of ourselves. We declare that we cannot trust and follow Jesus in our own power. And so we respond to his invitation to follow. Knowing that we could never deserve it. We declare that it is God who works in us to accomplish his will. That we are dependent on Jesus for our soul's healing. And we declare that Jesus does this work in us together as his church. That when we come to trust and follow Jesus, we do so together. The church, 1 Corinthians 11, also tells us to examine ourselves first before we take the bread and the cup. To remember Judas too reclined at the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us to ask, do we truly mean what we are declaring in this ordinance? Or are there parts of our lives that declare otherwise? If so, we need to turn from them. To repent. And then take the supper together. And spend some time alone with God in examination of your heart. In appreciation for who God is and what he has done. And in exaltation of our great... God and King who restores in us through Christ what we have broken by our sin and who has welcomed us to his family Passover table. 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 24 says the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the worthy sacrifice of Jesus the Christ, God the Son, on our behalf. We thank you for the unity that we have in the Spirit who joins us together by grace through faith and your sacrificial death and your atonement, your payment for our sin that we could never pay. God I pray that we as a people would be filled with your spirit to love your word, to share your truth, to recognize your glory, to turn from ourselves daily. And to trust and to follow you alone in all of our lives for the rest of our lives. We ask this, God, for the glory of your name. And it's in that name, the holy name of Jesus, that we rely, that we respond, that we repent, and that we give thanks. Amen.